0: C.S. Lewis, who said, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want all of you. I want you. Does almost count? When it comes to obedience, There's almost count? Oh, we know the saying, almost only counts in hush shoes and hand grenades, right? To almost get a ringer in hush shoes could win the game, and almost hitting your target when sending a hand grenade can effectively, likely blow up your target. But to almost hit a three-pointer at the buzzer, or almost get off the right exit, or almost catch the train, or almost pass the exam, or almost wear your parachute when jumping out of a plane. Doesn't seem to count. And what police officer would accept, I almost was doing the speed limit, or I almost went the right way on a one-way street, and what spouse would be satisfied with, I almost was faithful, The Red Sox fans still remember the greatest almost of all time when Billy Buckner almost fielded that ground ball in game six to win the game of the World Series so many years ago. I almost hate to even have to relive that. And as was witness in the drama, to almost cross the Red Sea wasn't good enough. Scripture records for us that God miraculously parted the Red Sea to get his people safely out of slavery in Egypt. To almost cross the sea would have resulted in the same horrible ending as the Egyptians who were swept up into the sea and drowned. Almost would not have counted. It required complete obedience to experience all that God had for them in leaving Egypt. But you see, that was not the end of the story for God's people. He took them out of Egypt, out, and that was his design. But his design was to bring them in to a prosperous land. Now, if we were reading through the Bible chronologically and we were to stop at the book of Joshua, we would see how the Israelites were on the brink of entering into the land that God promised for his people. You'll recall that they were about to enter into that promised land under Moses' leadership back some 40 years ago when 10 sanctified obstructionists, the professional can't-doers, the naysayers, the majority who lived by the axiom, it can't be done, so crippled by fear that they chose not to claim the inheritance of land that God desired for them. They were almost, they were almost in the land when they chickened out. And all things being equal, they were less than two weeks away from the land. So that generation had to live with what might have been, if only, almost. And instead of movement into the promised land, they experienced a lot of motion wandering around into the wilderness for 40 years. And it wasn't until that generation passed away, including Moses, that the promised land could now become a reality. I want you to look with me at the final chapter of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the book just before the one that we just read this morning, Joshua. But I want us to get the scene here. I want us to get the context. I want us to get the background. As we go into the book of Joshua, we need to see Deuteronomy chapter 34. Now, this is just prior to Moses passing away. And God allows Moses to see what is in store for his people. But Moses will not enter into it. Deuteronomy chapter 34, I'm going to read just 4, verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. It was an almost for Moses. Almost. As we come to the book of Joshua, where where are the people of God? They are on the threshold of entering into God's best for them and to receive where God had been taking them all along. Now, I want to liken this to our Christian journey. There was a moment in time when God rescued you from your Egypt, the enslavement of sin, and called you out of that bondage. At that moment, you received his offer and gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and you were delivered from sin's wages, which was death. But believer, that is not the whole of your story. Salvation is not just about what you have been saved from, but what you have been saved to. See, we receive the first half of the story. We kind of exhale and go, made it. we forget the other part. There is so much more that God wants for us. Don't settle, loved ones. Don't settle. So as we come to the book of Joshua, it is a push to move forwards. And even if we are in the verge of something greater for us as individuals and greater for us as a church, we can miss it in our lifetime if we slip into some false sense of contentment and shrink back in unbelief. Allow our time in Joshua here to move you from where we are to where God wants us to become. Dare to ask the question, what might God be asking of me? What might God be asking of me? What might God be asking of us as a church? What is God asking of you? And what keeps getting in the way of experiencing God's best? Have you been living with an almost-is-good-enough-for-God attitude? I agree with the one who said, the greatest tragedy of today's convenient world is that you can live a trivial life and get away with it. Loved ones, I don't want to just get by and live a trivial life. Let's commit to doing away with trivial pursuits and instead give our all to embracing all That God has for us. Let's change almost with God. For all out. For God. Let's enter God's best. That brings us to the book of Joshua. Now one reason. That I love the book of Joshua. Is it's joyful optimism. But I have to be honest with you, I love it also because it's full of actions. I mean, it has battles and, and fighting and strategies. I mean, okay, it's a guy's book. Yeah, I'll admit that. It's about conquering. Yeah, Right? We go to a store and we got to conquer what it is got to do there. Get there and get out. Conquer. That's why I love this book. But it's for all of us. Male, female, young, old, because it's a book about beginnings. God is going somewhere, and his desire is that his people follow him to where he's going. And what I think you'll find refreshing as we study this book is that the people of Israel have been given another chance to enter into God's best. I mean, the new generation would have witnessed firsthand that almost doesn't count. Do you need a fresh start? Do you need to give yourself more fully to change? Will you seek God and what he might be asking of you and begin to walk towards that? Might God be nudging you to step up where you might want to step away? And you're in good company because likely Joshua felt the same way. If you're not there, I hope you're there to Joshua chapter 1. We're really going to take just the first five verses. We'll pick up verses 6 and following Um, next week. I had hoped to look at verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, but we got only as far as verse 5. And so we're going to just look at verses 1 through 5 and pick up verse 9, but really we're going to come back to this next time. But these words here, this is why I had to camp here, these words from God's mouth to Joshua's soul was meant to put courage into him. And I trust it will do the same for you. And by the way, that is the very nature of encouragement. It is to put courage into someone else. It is when we put courage into another life, that it encourages them to face another day. To take that step. To face their fears. It's when we put courage into someone else, we help them, we assist them, we encourage them to keep on keeping on, to step up when everything inside of them screams, step away. And so God here does a little of that himself. He puts courage into Joshua's heart, He encourages him with some timely words and timeless principles. For all of us. There's really three words to Joshua here that God gives. He wants to put courage into him. The first word is, godly people come and go, but God's work continues. That's the first word Joshua needed to hear. Godly people come and go, but God's work continues. It's said that on John Wesley's grave you find these words, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. Chapter 1, verse 1 starts out. Follow along. Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, perhaps it's it's in my vocation that this transfer of leadership really kind of hit home to me. I, I think you might be able to relate, though. I want you to go back with me to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Again, the last chapter. We looked at it earlier. And I want you to to, to feel these words here as it relates to what was just read in chapter 1 of Joshua. Okay? Joshua's about to receive the baton. But I want you to read the end of chapter 34, verse 10. Verse 10. Follow along with me. Since then, speaking of Moses, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. That's quite a eulogy. By God himself. Those are the words spoken of Israel's leader, Moses. Moses. Then come the words, Joshua 1, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua. Now, folks, how would you like to be a successor to a leader like that? (laughs) How would you like to fill the shoes of a man who spoke to God through a burning bush? Cast down his rod and have it turned into a snake, and and then he he picked up and retrieved the snake, and and it turned into a rod. Can you imagine being the predecessor of a man who could stretch out his hand and have the sea divide? He could bring water from a rock when the people complained of thirst. And remember, these people weren't the most compliant, unified outfit the world has ever seen, either. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Moses must have felt at times like a director of a cemetery. A lot of people under him, but nobody was listening. <laughs> right? Right? Yet Moses here is put into a class by himself. God's commentary of Moses was that no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. No one has ever shown the mighty power and performed the awesome deeds that Moses did. No one. And go on to chapter 1 of Joshua 1. Moses' name is mentioned 11 times in this one chapter. That's all about Moses. Okay now, Joshua, go for it. You have the baton. You're our next leader. I mean, how would you feel about that? I have these moments. Often, they really pop up at the worst times. But I have these moments when I secretly wish that I had the brains of R.C. Sproul, the laugh of Chuck Swindoll, and the voice of Alistair Beck. I just wish I had all that. And many more other people that I go, oh, I wish I could deliver a sermon like that. Whoa, oh, it'd be great. God hasn't asked me to be those guys, but to be me. God isn't asking Joshua to be Moses, but to be Joshua. God isn't asking you to be someone else, or to be extraordinary, or to be heroic, but to be ordinary little you and me. Joshua is God's choice now that Moses has passed. It is worth noting that the word used to describe Joshua in relationship to Moses, he's called the end of verse 1 of Joshua, Moses' aid. It was a word that described workers in the tabernacle as well as servants of a leader. Joshua, we need to get this, Joshua served under And learned to obey as a servant long before he was commissioned to be God's leader. Think with me how God was preparing Joshua for this position for such a time as this. Remember, over 40 years prior to this, Joshua, along with one other man named Caleb, they spied out the land along with 10 others But these two had faith enough in God to take the enemies, uh, to go overtake the enemies and then move into the land that God had promised to them. Remember the story? Two out of the 12 said, We can do it. Ten out of the 12 said, No, we can't. You see, folks, majority isn't always right. But ten out of the 12 spies operating in fear convinced everyone else to step away and not move ahead in enemy territory. Now think about Joshua at that moment. They didn't listen to him. Could Joshua have become bitter in those 40 years of waiting and wandering? Could he? After all, it wasn't his fault that the people were denied access into the promised land. After all, he didn't agree with the deduction of the ten spies. And and he didn't agree with the people's decision to not go in. Could he have been given to cynicism or doubts or self-pity? Absolutely. He could have gone, I can't believe I have to spend 40 more years with these people because of their unbelief, just wandering around. They should have listened to me. What about this Moses? He calls himself a leader? Joshua would have none of that. He waited and he waited. He didn't try and lead before his time. He didn't become impatient and walk away. And because of that, we have the book of Joshua. And all that time was preparation. What a dreadful word, isn't it? I mean, be be honest. Doesn't it bug you when someone comes up to you? This is God preparing you. <laughs> or God is building character in you. And you. Oh, I don't want him to prepare me. I just want to do it. I don't want character. Our kids hate it when we say that, I think. This is God's way of building character in you. <laughs> oh, no, gee, thanks. Character? God encourages Joshua here through his commissioning of him. And you see, there would not be conformity from one leader to the next, but there would be continuity of God's promises. Because people may die, but God's promises live on. He wants to get that point across. Because God's faithfulness, loved ones, does not hinge on the achievements of individuals, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals nor does it evaporate in the face of rivers or man-made walls or any other seemingly uncrossable and impossible situation. The one Joshua assisted is gone, but the call is to move forward. You see, godly men and women will come and go, but God's work continues. That's the first word to Joshua. God puts courage into Joshua's heart with a second word to him, verse 3. And the word he has to him here is what God says he will do, he will do. What God says he will do, he will do. God reassures Joshua and says in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. God is referring to the land he had promised for his people. And he lays out that land for Joshua in verse 4. But you see, this idea of their having land is a big deal, for it has to do with God's purposes. The word land is used more than 80 times in the book of Joshua. The promise of land really goes back even further than the time of Moses to the time of Abraham. The theological roots of Joshua sunk deeply into the soil of Genesis 12 and following. God promised Abraham, you recall, that through his seed would come a great nation. And what does it take to make a great nation? People, leaders, laws, and lands. Right now, they have three out of the four. A slew of people lost out in claiming their inheritance, but God's plan did not change. Oh, they walked out on him, but God never walks out on his promises. But God says he will do. He will do. And when God says, I will... When God says, I will... We need to take that seriously... And respond accordingly. What's to be our response to God's will? I want you to keep your eyes at verse 3 here. I want you to notice a little phrase that we kind of tend to miss. We just kind of read right over it. That's absolutely critical to our moving toward God's best for our lives. Let me read verse 3 again of Joshua 1. God says... I will give you every place, grab this now, where you set your foot. God said that he would give him and the people every place where they step foot. But don't miss it. We have to place our foot somewhere in order to experience what God has for us. The prior generation missed out on experiencing that because they were not willing to take God at his word and step in his direction. See, so God will give it. That's his promise. But, he would have, but we, and in this case, they would have to take that step and place their foot, their feet on the land. See, God wasn't simply going to snap his fingers and it would all be theirs. It required a, a step of obedience and trust in him. And I think this is where many Christians get hung up. Right here. Many figure that God will improve their marriage. Or God will remove their addiction. Or God will land them a job. Or, or God's going to pour some miracle grow on them. So they can flourish in their walk with him without any effort on their part whatsoever. That's not what my Bible says. We're called to step up and walk in his promises. And we know that his promises live on. And we know that God will do what he says he will do. He simply asks us to answer his call. Pastor Henry Morehouse had a daughter who was paralyzed from the waist down. One day he came home with a package, with a gift for his wife. And as he entered the front door, he saw his daughter Minnie sitting in her usual spot in the chair. He bent down and he, and he kissed her and asked, where's mother? I have a gift for her. "Mummy is upstairs, the little girl said, but can I give her the gift, daddy? Well, Minnie Morehouse said, how can you carry a gift? You can't even carry yourself upstairs. The girl smiled. Oh, daddy, that's easy. I'll carry the gift while you carry me. How impossible the challenge may seem. God asks us to step up, answer the call, and guess what? He'll carry us. He will do what He says He will do. Are you ready and excited to be a part of it? Will you step? Will you step? He'll carry us. Lastly, God puts courage into Joshua by reminding him that not only that God's people will come and go, but His work continues. And not only that what God says he will do, he will do, but thirdly, God puts courage into Joshua by reminding him that despite the problems Joshua would face, God's absence would never be one of them. Despite the problems Joshua would face, God's absence would never be one of them. It is in this time of transition that God provides Joshua with some much needed reassurance, and in the face of a funeral, God's powerful presence is alive and well. After the church service, a longtime member of a local church walked toward the pastor who stood waiting at the door in the back. It was obvious that she had something on her mind, and sure enough, she did. And she said to the pastor, complaining, Pastor, If God were alive today, he would be shocked at the changes in this church. (laughs) Did you hear what she just said? If God were alive, God is alive. That's a reality. Do we reflect that reality? God's living presence makes a difference in our daily lives. He is alive. We're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks. He is alive. He is present wherever we go. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, he says in verse 5. No one. As I was was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He reminds reminds Joshua again at the end of verse 9, Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And these aren't just words for Joshua and for his particular situation. For in Hebrews chapter 13, God promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And his promised presence is repeated from Jesus' lips at the end of Matthew 28 where he says, He will be with us to the very end of the age. Believer, take that promise with you. Because even when you may not feel like he is present in your life, take him at his word, for he promises to never leave you nor forsake you never. God is going somewhere. He desires we follow him to where he's going. What is keeping you from moving forwards? Now don't forget where he ended up last week in our study in First Peter. I mean, it's a different book, but it's a continuation of thought here in Joshua. Satan roars, remember, to do what? Produce fear. God speaks to produce faith. Remember the context of God's words to Joshua here. He is terrified, no doubt. And I figure the words that God gives to Joshua here are because he can see into Joshua's heart. God can see that this man, he's chosen for the job of leading his people forward to what he wants them to become. is just a little bit fearful, which is probably an understatement. His knees are knocking and the task before him looks impossible. And over and over in this book, we find similar words spoken of God's continual presence. Just as he says here, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says it over and over again in the book of Joshua. We find it in chapter 3, verse 7. We find it in chapter 3, verse 10. We find it in chapter 6, verse 27. 10, 14. Chapter 13, verse 6. Chapter 14, verse 12. Chapter 21, verse 44. And in chapter 22, and in chapter 23, God says it again and again and again I will be with you. Come on, Joshua, what's your problem? Don't you need just one time? Huh. I need it more than once. I forget. Joshua needs to hear hear these words now. He's going to need to remember them later because God continually in this book, he backs Joshua up to that place where he would be thinking, You want me to do what? Your winning strategy, Lord, is to march around the city of Jericho with trumpets? You want me to do what? How is fear holding you back? Will you admit that it's fear? Be honest, is it fear? Reminds me of the story told by a sergeant in the 101st Airborne who was taking a routine nighttime jump. Seated next to him in the plane was a lieutenant, fresh out of jump school. The lieutenant was pale and sullen, so the sergeant asked, Scared, lieutenant? lieutenant replied, No, uh uh-uh, just a bit apprehensive. What's the difference? inquired the sergeant. And he replied, Well, that means I'm scared with a university education degree. (laughs) He's still scared. Listen, whatever you might want to call it, concern, that's the biblical way. That's a spiritual way we say it. I have a concern. No, I have a fear. I'm terrified. So whatever we may want to call it, fear can be so crippling, can't it? it? Prevents us from moving forward. And I don't know what you're facing right now. You may be facing mountain-sized problem in your life. You may be moving from one phase of life to another. I don't know what it is. It might be you got to enter college, and that just seems overwhelming to you. Or your, your new job is terrifying, or your recent marriage is daunting, or, or children just kind of intimidating or finances are alarming, or a recent loss is paralyzing, or the transition of breaking a habit is very frustrating. I don't know what it is, but God's present help does not disappear when we make those transitions in life. Whatever your particular fear might be, God's presence can help you overcome it. You can guarantee it. And Despite the problems Joshua would face, despite the challenges we encounter in our lives, God's absence would never be one of them. Now, if we're going to gain anything from our time in Joshua, then it all must begin right here, where it began for Joshua. And that's why I didn't want to go any further this morning. It begins right here. We've got to settle this first. God goes to great lengths to remind Joshua that he is with him, that his promises will stand even when a great man dies, and that even if he feels inadequate for the task, even if he's shaking in his boots... Why do we need to be reminded of this? Why is this so critical to our moving forward and to entering God's best for us? Here's the bottom line for us today. Here it is. When God's presence is all you have, it is all that you need. When God's presence is all that you have, it is all that you need. And time and time again, we will see this principle lived out in this marvelous book. When God's presence is all you have, it is all that you need. We sang it earlier. If God is with us, then who or what can stand against us? And God's about to ask Joshua to step up and be God's man for the job. He's about to call, to, call him to move forward and lead his people to become what God wants them to become. God speaks to his new leader, and he puts courage into his heart. Godly people will come and go, but God's work continues. What God says he will do, he will do. And that despite the problems that Joshua would face, God's absence would never be one of them. Now what? What steps need to be taken? What is God asking of you that could potentially move you from where you are to what he wants you to become? To what do you need to respond with, yes, God? Now, I can safely say, because I do it myself more than I care to admit, that once you say, yes, God, there's one more word that often trails right behind it. Matter of fact, one Christian speaker said the whole of the Christian life can be boiled down to three letters. Three letters, Y, G, B. You know what it stands for? Yes, God, but. Think how often you say that. Yes, God, but. Or some form of that, like, I know, but. Or yes, that's true, but. Yes, God, I know you can use me. I know you'll always be with me. Yes, God, I know what you say you will do, you will do, but. But what about the money, God? Yes, God, but but what about my past? Yes, God, but but what if I fail? Yes, God, but what about my situation right now? What what will people think of me? Or, Or, but, what if it doesn't work out? Yes, God, I know what you're asking me to do. Yes, I know, I know, I know, but... And we throw up this obstacle, and we throw up that obstacle, and then list all the reasons why we can't do it. Can't do it. God can. Samuel Johnson said it this way, Nothing will ever be attempted if all possible objections must first be overcome. If we wait for every obstacle to be removed before doing anything, we will do nothing. One writer expressed it this way, For a long time it had seemed to me that life was about to begin. Real life! But there's always some obstacle in the way. Something to be got through first, some unfinished business, time still to be served, a debt to be paid, then life would begin, and at last it dawned on me that these obstacles were my life. Be honest. Where is YGB showing up in your life right now? Isn't his powerful presence all you need? Isn't it time to step up? Remember, he has you. (laughs) That's enough. Tim Hansel used an illustration from rock climbing that speaks to our subject this morning. He says this. In rock climbing, there's a technical term called a commitment move. It is the crux move of the entire climb. There you are on this rock climbing, And handholds seem scarce and and footholds appear non-existent. The tendency at that moment is to freeze, to panic, to wait until exhaustion overwhelms you and it causes you, the climber, to quit the climb. You have a rope around you that will keep you from ever falling just a few inches. And yet your first inclination as you're standing, as you're there on that wall, on that rock, is to freeze. On a commitment move, you either got to go for it or come off the climb. One or the other. Can't, Can't hold this. Go for it. Get off. Believers, we're roped in Christ. You've been given every spiritual blessing. You have the assurance of his presence. He promises to be with you wherever you go. You're on the ledge. The waiting is painful. You you can wait for the next handhold to be easy if you want, but you can't stay on the ledge forever. What are you going to do? What's your commitment move? Almost won't cut it. Follow all the way and not just when it's convenient because God wants all of you. Will you go for it? What does that commitment move look like for you? What does it look like for us? What will you need? What is it that moves good intentions to actions? That's going to be next time as we pick it up in verse 6. Let's pray. Lord, challenge us with these words from Joshua this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that you never let go of us. The rope is around us. What do we have to fear? God, show me, show us our commitment move. We can't hang on forever. We Can't freeze. You to go for it, get off. Show us what that is. And thank you for the ways you put courage into our own hearts this morning from these words in Joshua, in Jesus' name, amen.